0: The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Uh, you may be familiar with the concept of a humble brag. A humble brag... <laughs> is, uh, well, it's something I came across in uh, a former job uh, that I had. I was sitting in a seminar one day with my uh, fellow employees, uh, one of whom was clearly the alpha employee uh, of the group, and he was not happy that he had to sit in the seminar because well, he was the alpha of the group, and he should have been able to go home when his work shift was done. But he had to be there that day, and so he was grudgingly participating, and we were Supposed to uh, identify certain traits in our coworkers, and uh, one of the traits that we identified in a certain coworker, unnamed, uh, was that they had an insatiable need uh, for affirmation. And so the guy running the seminar then called upon me, and he said, uh, "Who do you think this applies to in your group?" And I said, "Oh, that's easy. That's," and I named the person. Uh, who was the alpha. And the person protested. He said, uh, I don't have a need for affirmation. Uh, For instance, I have 17 Emmys. I don't know where any of them are, but I have 17 of them. (laughs) That is what's known as a humble brag, ladies and gentlemen. A humble brag. Uh, I thought that was the humble brag of all time until I happened upon this humble brag from uh, your friend and mine, uh, the great Dr. Anthony Fauci. It's called the Fauci effect, which is sort of like, you know, as trust me, I'm, I, I don't get excited about that. <laughs> I mean, it's nice, but I mean, it's, it's I, I, people go to medical school now, people are interested in science, not because of me, because people, most people don't know me, who I am. My friends know me, my wife knows me, but people don't know me. It's what I symbolize. And what I symbolize in, a, in an era of the normalization of untruths and lies and, and all the things you're seeing going on in society from January 6th to everything else that goes on, people the craving for consistency, for integrity, for truth and for people caring about people. And that is Anthony Fauci, the Fauci effect. It is an outgrowth of people craving for consistency, integrity, integrity, and truth. Humble brag, the Fauci effect. Um, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I don't think so, Anthony Fauci. And it's interesting that he says uh, he symbolizes integrity, truth, in an era where we have the normalization of untruths and lies. The normalization of untruths and lies. Well, uh, he would say the chief lie is that the election of 2020 was fudged with. He would say that the chief lie is that the mask mandates, the vaccine mandates, the booster shot mandates... uh, we're not about public health, but we're about following orders, getting in line, doing what you're told. He would say those are the lies. Uh, the chief lie out there today that is so dangerous for our society is the transgender lie that you determine what you are, male or female, that by the own by your own uh, sheer force of will, You become something you are not merely because you say so. And it is such a powerful, powerful narrative that we have doctors who've gone to school for years and years and years and years, decades, and trained, who comprise staffs at previously highly thought of institutions like Nationwide Children's Hospital, Cincinnati Children's Hospital, Boston Children's Hospital, and there the doctors are the experts until until a child, a minor child walks in and tells the doctor, I was born a boy, but I am in fact a girl, and the doctor is not allowed to say, no, no, you have a mental illness, you have a mental disconnect. We've dealt with this before, you'll outgrow this, it's a phase in your life, something weird's happening with you, you're searching for community, you're searching for identity, you may have traits of the opposite sex, but just because you're a girl who likes to play with trucks or just like you're, just because you're a boy who likes to play with dolls, that does not mean, in fact, you are a, a boy if born a girl or a girl if born a boy. Doctors can't say that because that would not be gender-affirming care. Now, it would be one thing if they just told these delusional kids and their even more delusional parents who advocate for this nonsense, that they just said to them, okay, well, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll call you by what pronouns you want, we'll call you by the name you want, but it's way worse than that. They will perform surgeries that will permanently, I said permanently, alter this child and put them on a road to misery and self-loathing. But they sure do it in the most affirming, friendly, non-threatening way. Listen to this statement from a doctor. Nice-looking, young, relatively, I'm sure, pleasant person, except that she's nuts and evil and demented, talking about what they do to young girls who come to Boston Children's Hospital saying that they are, in fact, not girls. Gender-affirming hysterectomy is very similar to most hysterectomies that occur. A hysterectomy itself is the removal of the uterus, the cervix, which is the opening of the uterus, and the fallopian tubes, which are attached to the sides of the uterus. Some gender-affirming hysterectomies will also include the removal of the ovaries, but that's technically a separate procedure called a bilateral oophrectomy. And not every gender-affirming hysterectomy includes that, and people who are getting gender-affirming hysterectomies do not have to have their ovaries removed. And then on the screen it comes Boston Children's Hospital where people come for truth, truth and comfort. Like, this is madness. This is evil. This is twisted. And I have to give a lot of credit to Matt Walsh of The Daily Wire, who was the first one to really pound the table on this and how dangerous it was. He tweets... There needs to be an organized effort to fight back against the drugging and mutilating of children. There should be rallies outside of hospitals that butcher children. There should be marches on Washington, D.C. with hundreds of thousands of people. I will try to get this ball rolling. I will assist in whatever way I can to get that ball rolling and keep it rolling. Not because I'm a transphobe, but because people who rebel against and deny the sovereignty of God should offend those of us who understand the joy of a relationship with Jesus Christ And, and should inspire in us compassion and empathy, and a deep desire to save and spare children who are under the demonic spell of the LGBTQ movement and the indoctrination of whoever is steering them toward this horrendous evil in their life. For nationwide children's to glorify this, for Boston children's, for Cincinnati children's to glorify this, we are going to face in our country in coming years, and we're already seeing it in Europe. There's a class action lawsuit against the hospital in England that has been practicing transgender affirming care. A thousand families have denied it, have united in a lawsuit against the gender clinic in London. We are going to see this on a massive level in the United States, and that's one thing. There'll be multi-million dollar settlements, and there should be, but that won't help these youth recapture the joy that will be stolen from them by medical professionals and adults who should know better. We cannot sit silently through this. We cannot sit this battle out. We cannot allow it to flourish anywhere in our society. Mostly sunny. Very nice afternoon. Hi, today. My background professionally is in print journalism. And I've said before that I'm uh, chagrined by what print journalism has become. I spent a fair amount of yesterday's show talking about uh, what a joke the Columbus Dispatch is. By the way, there were no stories today on the Columbus Dispatch website. Holding Andrew Ginther to account for spending $5.75 million of taxpayer money to give to people who said they were mistreated by police during the George Floyd-related riots in May of 2020. He gave almost $6 million to 32 people and their attorneys because he thought police acted in a horrible, terrible, awful, very bad, racist way. Trouble is, none of those cops were convicted. Charges against two were dismissed. A third was exonerated in a court of law. Uh, One of 24 cops uh, were um, given a slap on the wrist. One of 24 by internal affairs, where the standard of proof is much lower, of course, than it is in the courts. Now, you would think a good newspaper would reach out to Mayor Andrew Ginther and go, Hey, 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 why did you pay all that money when the courts and pretty much your own CPD internal affairs say they didn't do anything really wrong? Why did you get a new police chief? Why are you offering buyouts of 200 grand to 100 cops? Why are you offering $300,000 buyouts to deputy chiefs? Why are you retooling and redoing your entire police department and how you police based upon what we now know is a lie? None of those questions were asked yesterday by the Columbus Dispatch, but you've known for a long time that that paper's news coverage is a complete joke. What you may not know is that the New York Times, the gray lady, the standard bearer of American journalism, sure they're woke, and sure they're poli- uh they're they're Perception of issues doesn't agree with your own as a conservative. You've known that for a long time. But they would never violate one of the most hard and fast standards of journalism, which is you don't go ask the opposition for approval to run something that is an opinion piece from someone who takes issue with a position you yourself hold. No, that is why you have an op-ed page. You have an editorial board. They put out editorials about your newspaper. An op-ed page, what do you think that stands for? Opposite, other voices. That's what it is. So we're going to have other voices on our op-ed pages. And the presumption has always been in journalism that if it runs on the op-ed page, it's not approved by your editorial board, but they just think, this is an interesting opinion, we'd like for you to see it. Well... This is how they do things at the New York Times. Barry Weiss used to be their opinion page editor. She now, of course, has made a heel turn. She's become a plain spoken substack writer. I don't think she's a conservative, but she realizes that the left is totally without any kind of integrity or character. And she had Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina on. Her recent podcast. And she said to Senator Scott about an editorial that he submitted to the New York Times following the George Floyd riots. Uh, Well, she said to him uh, uh, what happened with his editorial that was news to him. He said to her, You know, I wrote an editorial and I was trying to get it published in the New York Times because I was putting forth legislation that was hopefully going to be a bipartisan piece of legislation to uh, reform police. Democrats, of course, didn't want a black senator, a black Republican senator from South Carolina to get the victory lap for having his name on legislation that reformed police. And so Tim Scott's bill was filibustered, That's right, that racist trick that Republicans have used since Joe Biden was elected. Democrats used it a lot during Donald Trump's term. And so Tim Scott's bill never made it to the floor for a vote. Barry Weiss said, here's what happened. And this is the part I'm not sure if you know. There was a discussion about your editorial and whether or not we should run it. And one colleague, Barry Weiss continued... A more senior colleague at the New York Times said to a junior colleague who was pushing for your piece to be published, do you think Republicans really care about minority rights? Tim Scott was somewhat taken aback by this, and he said, wow, Barry Weiss wasn't done. She said, the more junior colleague responded, I think Tim Scott cares about minority rights. To which the senior colleague at the New York Times, according to Barry Weiss, responded, let's check with Senator Schumer before we run it. So here's how it broke down. Tim Scott's pushing for police reform at the time of the George Floyd riots around the country. A black Republican senator from South Carolina. Democrats were against it. So he tried to drum up pressure on Democrats to let his bill be voted upon in the U.S. Senate. In an effort to get his bill voted on in the U.S. Senate, he wrote an op-ed piece for the New York Times editorial page. And the senior person in charge of the New York Times editorial page at the time told the person who was advocating for Senator Scott's piece that they would not run it unless it was green-lit by House then-Minority Leader Chuck Schumer. So the New York Times is not making independent editorial decisions. The New York Times is not interested in offering competing views. And they, cont- they will contend that they are, but this is indicative of how much big media stinks these days, it stinks on a national level with The New York Times, which you now have a greater understanding of. I know you were already aware that the playing field was tilted. It stinks at the network television level, which you've also known for a long time, at the television, cable television level with CNN and MSNBC and the way they were gleeful in the news that Donald Trump's Miralago estate had been raided. And it's true right down here on the local level where the local media, not a single TV station, not a single newspaper reporter today has anything for you holding Andrew Ginther, Shannon Harden, the city council president, or anyone in city governments, law director Zach Klein, not a single word about them wasting when you calculate the amount paid in police buyouts. Well over $10 million on a lie, on a lie that Columbus police acted inappropriately towards citizens in the downtown riots of 2020. Not not a single word. Not NBC4, not Channel 6, not Channel 10, not the dispatch. And you're not surprised to know that the call that I placed yesterday to Mayor Andrew Ginther's office has not... Earn me a return phone call, and it won't, because this is how people in power, in Democratic strongholds like Columbus, view accountability. Their accountability is only to the people that they know will vote for them in the future, not to the people who ask them pertinent questions about their bad policies.